0: Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website www.southsidepc.org or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Reading now from John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? and will remind you of everything i have said to you peace i leave with you my peace i give you i do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid
1: we are continuing on in a journey uh, in the gospel of john and it is the night where uh, before jesus gets arrested Uh, will be nailed to a cross and he'll be in a tomb the next day so we're sort of halfway through a conversation but it is an amazing conversation it's worth slowing down and listening to so how about i pray and then we'll dig into it dear father god thanks for letting us gather today to celebrate your love for us through baptisms for our church community to be a church of all ages lord thank you that we can do this together and lord we pray that you'd help us now to understand who you are and understand who we are and how we can know you and relate to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is uh, one of those things where each of us have some sort of image of God. What does God look like to you? Not look like physically, but what is God like to you? What sort of picture do you have in your head? If I could get into your brains this morning, we'd have it up on the screen. What is God like And the other question, what are you basing that on? Because I think for a lot of us, how we think God is or what he is or what he's like is based on kind of what's going on in my life right now. You know, if there's trauma, that changes the way I view God, if it's just happy days. Let me i um, give you a couple of examples. There's some things I've noticed just in our community of recent times. Over Christmas we had the season of bushfires and there was a lot of talk about God. That people uh, were, were starting to ask questions of God and starting to pray to God. Now if you asked the typical Aussie before Christmas, before December even, before the bushfires really hit, what do you think of God? What do you think God is like? The response would probably be something like, what does it matter? I don't know. Do we even need God? But then when the bushfires hit, the different surroundings, different environment, all of a sudden a lot of people in fear, like these people uh, on the beach, really in fear the fire's coming for them. If you ask them what they thought of God, all of a sudden we heard reports of, oh, we're starting to pray. We're starting to pray because the fear, the anxiety, we're in trouble. So we're going to call on God. So we have these two different settings. One says, we're going to pray and if, if, the, if the country still burns in fire, well, God doesn't exist. He doesn't care. He's so far away. Or the other group of people says, I'm going to pray to God because I'm in fear and anxiety that if he does send rain and does put out these fires and keeps me safe, then I'll know he cares and he loves me. It sort of depends on what's going on around you. On the outside to how they view God. Now, I've even seen pastors do this too. I saw a pastor once uh, at a church say how God doesn't, uh, there was a time in his family where God was so far away with them, God wasn't with them, him and his family. They kind of go, okay, what do you base that on? And he says, well, we were doing it really tough. We were poor. We had no money. We had lots of troubles. God wasn't with us. But now, God is with us. Yeah, you know, what do you base that on well we live with many blessings we don't have any money worries anymore we have no trouble so god is with us and i kind of go yeah basing your idea on god and what god is like on what's going on around us now for us maybe we can do that as well depending on what day you're sort of having if you get up in the morning and you go man, I've got all these worries, all these stresses. How come God is not on my side? How come not God is not backing me? If you know um, any of the Psalms, Psalm 73, the psalmist is wrestling with, oh, look at everybody else and the wicked, they're prosperous, they don't have any worries, but me and my life, and he's angry at God. He has this picture of God because of what he's seeing on the outside. Or maybe you wake up in the morning and you just go, it's a happy day, the sun's shining, kids are behaving themselves, everything's going in order, I have no stress. And it's that Psalm 23 type moment of, you know, God leads me beside the still waters and green pastures. I don't have anything to worry about because my life is safe and secure. God is so good. See, sometimes we can fall into the trap too. judging on what God, Judging what God is like on our experience, what's going on on the outside, And that's a trap. It's a trouble because we have good days and bad days, which influence how we judge God or view God, but yet God's still the same. God's still the same. See, in this uh, discussion Jesus is having with his disciples in the upper room, they know the world's going to change for them. Jesus is telling them that things will change. See, they've been with Jesus in times of triumph, in the good days, they've been with Jesus when he's turned water into wine, he's fed 5,000 people, he even raised a guy called Lazarus from the dead. It's like good times. If you wanna find somewhere safe and uh, secure and no worries, be with Jesus. But now Jesus is saying, hang on a minute, I'm gonna leave you now, I'm going. And in fact, I'm not just disappearing, I'm going to be killed. People hate me so much, the Jewish religious leaders, they are going to kill me. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus and your teacher is going to be killed because he's hated so much, guess who's next? They're going to come after you. So it's a real test. What do you believe in, God? Do you stick to Jesus? Do you say, no, no, I'm in it because Jesus is loving, secure, and I'm safe in him. I don't have any worries. Or on the flip side... You've got to start asking the questions, is this worth it? Do I stick to Jesus and maybe lose everything? Lose everything. Because what is God doing to me? Does God hate me if he's calling me to give my life? Does he hate me to say, go on mission for me and give up everything? Does God really hate me that much that he's going to push me out of my comfort zone? What is God like? Jesus is saying, you need to know God. You need to know God and what he's like in times of trouble or in times of triumph because God is always the same but our outside, the surrounds, are always changing. So this is the test for the disciples. There's something they need to know. Jesus is going, this is my last night in 24 hours, Jesus is going to be dead and buried in a tomb. His body is going cold in a tomb but there's one thing you need to know. And he gives them a lesson on what's going to get them through to keep their faith strong. And what is that lesson? Would you believe the one important lesson Jesus has got to give them before he goes is a lesson on the Trinity? The Trinity, you say, why that? It's not like, oh, before I go, I forgot to explain one more thing. There's this complicated theological thing about God the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and how they work together. It's not like that. He's saying, if you get your understanding about God and how he's working in your life, get that right on the inside, you will see the outside very, very differently. So get your understanding from God, from Jesus himself. And this is the explanation. This is the conversation he's going to give to him. what we're looking at this morning. Now, this passage in John, uh, often when we... For us as a church we think it's a good way to read the bible you start at the top and you work through verse by verse just to see the flow of the argument and what's going on now for John who's writing this uh, his Greek background and sometimes you might have discovered this in the text if you've been with us for a while on this journey it doesn't start at one end and finish the other end it's a bit like a fishing line mess. I'm not sure whether you go fishing and your, your line gets in a mess and you go hang on a minute you're trying to pull it apart and you go surely there's like three different fishing lines here in this one mess but it's really only one line but it just keeps going in on itself. That's the way John explains uh, what Jesus is saying. It's just one story, one message but it goes around in circles in and on itself, folding in itself. So we're going to uh, look at this passage but we're just going to pull out different verses to try and uh, bring up what what Jesus is saying but it's all about the same thing it's understanding God and understanding us now when we went through the the Bible reading I'm not sure whether you notice the you language that Jesus is saying you and that's for a real reason he's talking to a particular group of people he says you've got to know who you are in contrast to who I'm not talking to who those people are 27 times in 16 verses the reference to you, you this, you that, which is why does he say that? Who are the yous that he's talking to? Now, we have the text, we pull up um, a number of verses. Verse 15, he says, so we in the you. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. So there's something about this description of the you. Verse uh, 21. Whoever, loves, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's the you. And verse 22, uh, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? What, why are we the you? And he says in verse 23, sorry, I've skipped way ahead. Verse 23, He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This whole you, the people he's talking to, are the ones that love him and obey him. Now, sometimes we have a bit of trouble with this because our culture tends to separate love and obedience. Love is this warm, fuzzy, and it's unconditional, where obedience is kind of like oppressive. You do what I say, it's conditional, and we find it hard to hold them together. But if we think about how like, a marriage works, what is real love in a marriage when, you know, if you make the commitment, you stand up in front, front of everybody, you make vows, you put the ring on. Uh, and then if you walk away from that day like a single person, you know, you're still going out with your mates, you show your partner no respect, all that sort of stuff. You might say, well, you should still love me even though I'm not helping you out, even though I'm not spending time with you. You should still love me because love is unconditional. But you kind of go, hang on a minute. Love is also actions. You took vows, remember. So maybe obedience is actually fulfilling your vows that you wouldn't leave me or forsake me for others. Things like that. So love needs actions to be real love. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you love me, obey my commands because in real love you want to serve the other person. And this is what, the same with the love that God's talking about through Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands. Some people are not going to love Jesus and not keep his commands. And he starts using them, the world, that's the world. They don't know me like that. They don't know me. But you, he's talking to the 11, you know me, you love me, and you keep my commands. But that also opens up, he's not just talking to the 11 in the room, he's talking to us too today. If you know him and love him and keep his commands, there's a relationship there. A real relationship, which we're going to dig a bit deeper into. Now if you're here today and you're still not sure about this whole Jesus a relationship and how do I have a relationship with him so many years ago when he walked the earth. Now this morning's a great uh, example in this passage of what that looks like. So I'm glad you're here and I hope that you can understand what Jesus is talking about in this relationship. But we need to be clear. Jesus is starting to draw the line. You are special. You are different to the world when you love me and obey me. You have a relationship with me. Then he starts talking about God. God language is left behind now. He starts using the language of Jesus, uh, the Son, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He pulls it apart. This is how God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit work. And you have a real living relationship with Jesus. Because the disciples are asking the question, is this the end of Jesus? He's saying he's going, he's going to be killed. Jesus has left the building. Is that the end of Jesus? What's that going to be like? Are we going to see him again? But he goes on in verse 16 when he he fills out a little bit what he'll be doing. After he leaves, he says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. We'll talk about what the Spirit is later. But he's saying, I'm going to be still active. I'm still alive and active. I'm with the Father and I'm talking to him about sending you this other mediator, the Holy Spirit. And verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now he could be alluding to a few different things. One, he's going to, after he dies and buried, he's going to rise again. He's going to come back. He's also going to come back in what they call a second coming at the end of time. He's going to come back physically then as well. But he's also active in the way life works out, in a different way. Not the physical Jesus, but Jesus still alive and well and active in the world. He goes on in verse 20. He says, you are in me and I am in you. So even though Jesus is leaving physically, he says, we still have this relationship. We still have the connection. I'm in you and you're in me. We're still one. And verse 21, he says, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Even though Jesus is leaving them physically, I still love you. In fact, I will... Uh, I too will love them, the Father will love them, and I will show myself to them. He says, I'm still going to be active in your life. Now you kind of go, what does this look like? It's not the end of Jesus. His death, resurrection, his ascent to heaven, so he's gone physically, you won't be able to touch him, but he's still active in the world. And we see this in the book of Acts. So we see um, this guy called Saul. Saul was persecuting the church. He hated Jesus, hated the church, so he's persecuting Christians. He gets a vision of Jesus. Jesus appears to him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me, Saul? He sees it so clearly, he talks about it as Jesus was in front of him. This is the Saul who then turns into, changes the name change to Paul, and starts proclaiming Jesus. Because Jesus is not dead and gone. He's actually still alive and well, working in the world. So Jesus is not won't be with them physically, but he'll be with them in other new ways. So we still have a relationship with Jesus. We also have a relationship with the Father. Now, sometimes we see Jesus and we sort of get to know Jesus because he was human, uh, he's relational, but the Father, Father God, is distant. What is he like? It's harder to know. But Jesus says you've got a relationship with him too. You see in verse 21, where he says, whoever has... Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. See, often we get this idea of Jesus is the nice part of God. He's the gracious part of God. He's going to die for my sin. The Father God, he's up high and he's angry. He wants to punish me for my sin. And he's, I don't trust him because he's the Father that's angry and heavy-handed. Where well, Jesus says, no, if you've got a relationship with me and I love you for that, But if you have a relationship with me, you also have a relationship with the Father and he loves you as well. A relationship with Jesus is a relationship with the Father. Now Jesus is going physically, but he's going to do a job. And where is he going and what is he doing? It says in verse 23, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them And we will come to them and make our home with them. So not only will there be love from the Father and Son, we're going to make our home with them. Now, this is an interesting use of word, this idea of making a home with us. If you were here last week, or no, uh, earlier on in the chapter, Ben explained it last week, when it talked about Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. My father has a house, a house with many rooms. And that's what he's going to prepare for him. This idea of a home and a house is actually the Greek word, if we take it more uh, literally, is a dwelling place. So my father has a dwelling place with many rooms. Now here, same word, he's saying, uh, we will come, father and son, will come to them and make our dwelling place with them. The Father's going to dwell with those he loves, those who uh, obey, love Jesus. He's going to dwell with us. This is significant because if you know the story of the Bible or the story of human history, God never dwells with man as individuals in the lives of individuals. He dwells corporately. Let me give you a few examples. So in Genesis, we see God's in the garden with Adam and Eve. God doesn't dwell with them. He comes and goes. With Adam and Eve. What about Israel? Israel are going through the desert so Israel are God's children it's his nation. God says I'm going to dwell with you through the fire and I'm going to lead you through the desert so he's in the fire he's not with individuals but Israel are following them he's living with them through the fire then they have the tabernacle the the tent basically says I'm going to dwell with my people in the tent but he's not dwelling with Moses as an individual dwelling with his people then we had the temple the temple uh, was a place where God dwelt with his people so God was there at the temple not in the hearts of men but in the temple if you want to meet God you had to go to the temple and in the temple there was this back room where nobody could go the presence of God was so great you didn't go past the curtain into the back room where God was that's where his presence was you couldn't get that close to God so this is a change this is new Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, and this is going to change everything. Not only will you be able to relate to the Father, but the Father and Son are going to dwell with you. With you. Not as a nation, with you personally. We see that play out. When Jesus goes to the cross, what he's doing there is uh, he was sent on a mission to bring us to the Father. And he does that by dealing with our sin. So the sin that breaks our relationship with the Father. So Jesus says, give me a sin. All that stuff you did, the the rebellious acts against God, give it to me, I'm going to die on the cross and deal with the sin that's keeping you from the Father. And when Jesus dies his last breath, he's dealt with your sin. And at that time, some of the Gospels mention something happens in the temple. The curtain that was between God and man says the curtain tore in two from top to bottom the curtains are open God is no longer in his back room God's coming out into to the hearts of men he's not dwelling in the temple anymore he's dwelling with us this is significant Jesus says I'm going to the cross but you know what the outcomes gonna be there's gonna be better you're gonna have you're gonna experience real love from the father because he's gonna dwell with you that's what we experience today in a way that nobody in the Old Testament experienced. Nobody in history before the cross experienced. Jesus saying this is new. This is how the relationship with the Father will work. So we not only have a relationship with the Son, we have a relationship with the Father, we also have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you kind of go, well hang on, if we've got Jesus and he's dealing with our sin and brings us to the Father, we've got the Father living us, kind of like do we even need the Holy Spirit if we've got God living with us, in us? well yes we do Jesus explains verse 16 he says and I'll ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you there's a whole lot going on in that verse we'll just point out a few things this word advocate he says, another advocate. Jesus was a kind of advocate before. Now, the strange sort of word that we use today, but the best way to, to describe what an advocate is, is like a lawyer who's on your side, which is nice. A lawyer who's going to speak up for you and defend you and stand up for you to speak well of you. And this is what we see Jesus doing. When he goes to the cross, he wipes our debt, and he, uh, other parts of the New Testament explains how Jesus goes to the Father and pre- presents us as perfect as righteous and justified starts using legal type language that we're okay to meet with the father that's what jesus did but the spirit's job is an advocate as well that he's going to bring you to the father and just go hey this is the guy that's being saved this is the one who trusts and loves jesus this is the one who's righteous who's justified to have that relationship with the father the other thing an advocate does is advise you, like a good lawyer should tell you, hey, don't do that again, or do that, that's a better way of doing it. And we see the Holy Spirit particularly guiding people in their lives, like a good advocate in the way that follows Jesus' ways. So we get terms in the New Testament like, walk in, walk in the steps, of the, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, follow the Spirit's lead, that the Spirit advises us on This is the way to follow Jesus. This is a way to live in relationship with God, Father, Son and Spirit. He advises us. So this is the role of the advocate, the Spirit. And he's going to be with us forever. Jesus is saying, I've been with you physically for a short time, but now I'm going. But the Holy Spirit, he's going to be with us for all time. For all time. The Spirit is literally entering us. And he goes on to say, you know him. The world doesn't know him, but you know him. You know the Spirit. You have a relationship with Spirit. He lives with you and in you. A similar sort of language of the Father and Son dwelling with us, making a home with us. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us. God is in us when we have this relationship. Now this is amazing because again, before the cross, nobody has ever experienced this since the cross the spirit's been doing all this work it's the cross jesus work on the cross that changes everything before the cross was the spirit really active did he only really kick in after the cross but we see the spirit at work through the old testament but he he comes into the lives of people and goes will come and do some work and go again never makes a home in anybody for any length of time but yet through the cross of jesus the spirit's going to live in us to dwell in us a little example of that is like how the spirit might have worked in the old testament he's kind of pre-cross and after cross is looking at the life of peter peter one of the disciples peter was um, an outspoken disciple so we have more written about him but peter will say things like "Uh, jesus you are the christ you are lord peter's the one who gives up about three years of his life to follow jesus Did he think of that on his own or did the Spirit sort of point him to Jesus through that? Must have the Spirit to somehow say, look, this is the truth. You need to follow this guy. But then Peter also says things like, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus is washing his feet, he goes, don't just wash my feet, wash under my arms, wash behind my ears, wash everything. He it comes out with the dumb stuff as well. Jesus, I'm going to die for you, let alone the next day he's going to deny him three times. Did the Spirit lead him to say that? It's like, no, he'd come up with that all by himself, I'm sure. So the Spirit's kind of helping him, but not the whole way. After Jesus dies and rises again, uh, and goes to heaven the disciples gather in a room as this day called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit does enter them in the way Jesus is talking about the Spirit does come with them and in them and comes in their lives now we don't see Peter denying Jesus because he's fearful and scared Peter's going out to preach to the Jews thousands of Jews who just killed Jesus and now Peter saying I'm a disciple of Jesus and you know what you've done you've killed Jesus and the Spirit uses him in boldness to say amazing words pointing to Jesus and thousands repent thousands believe the spirits at work it's different the spirits in him with him and making his home in him the spirit does all that but the spirits not all about himself it's pointing to Jesus so if we drop down to verse 25 Jesus says all this I've spoken while I was still with you but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. The Spirit's not another God but he's a part of the Father's Son and the Spirit's going hey... I'm not your saviour, Jesus is your saviour, and I'm going to point you back to Jesus, I'm going to keep pointing you back to Jesus, here's the way to be saved, here's the way to the truth, the one and only truth, I'm not your saviour, but I know this guy, you can trust in Jesus. That's what the Spirit's role does. It keeps pointing us back to Jesus, our advocate, our advisor, that lives with us. So we have this relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we could say. We have a relationship with God, But we need to understand God's very vague. What does God even mean? Father, Son and Spirit. And we see how this plays out and how they work, how they're they're one God, but they're they're three different functions in that the Father who has love and compassion on humanity wants to bring us into this loving relationship with him. So it's the Father who sends the Son. The Son comes in Jesus into our world, dies for our sin, the things that are stopping us from having a relationship with God. And through him dealing with our sin, we can have that relationship with the Father. And then the Spirit is sent to keep us going. Hey, I'm going to point you to Jesus. Hey, I'm going to advise you. This is the way you should live this out. This is the priorities. And this whole emphasis on the Father, Son and Holy Spirit is with us and in us and dwelling with us is there it's inviting you we have this relationship with the father son holy spirit this amazing unity and love and service to each other and they're going no in this relationship you're in that as well that we have this relationship with them when we believe when we trust in jesus give our life to him if you want to have an image of god this is a great passage to keep coming back to what is god really like oh he's with me he's for me he's in me he's steering me in the right way he's dealt with my sin that's the relationship that's important for the disciples to know the disciples if they look on the outside what's going on around them jesus is going to leave he's going to be killed so not only that are they going to be blacklisted by all the other jewish leaders but jesus is calling the disciples hey i need you to follow me I need you to be on mission as well. People need to hear the truth about the gospel. So in following me on this mission to save the lost, you're going to have to give up everything. Give up all your stuff. Walk away. Give up even your safety, your security. Give up your comfort. And you might even die. You might have to give up your life to follow me as well. Now all of a sudden, what does that do for your anxiety and your worry and stress? What? What are you calling me to do? Does God really hate me that much that he's asking me to give up all this? But you going, no, no, don't worry about what's going on the outside. Look at what the inside is going on. You have an amazing relationship with God. Nobody can take that from you. And in a sense, when you get God right on the inside, you stop seeing what's going on the outside as far as it's influencing you, but you actually put things into perspective puts things into perspective, what's going on the outside, because on the inside, you're secure in your knowledge and love of God, your walk with him. They can see that through what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus is not saying, follow me and life is rosy. He's not saying, if you want safety and security, I'm the man, trust in me. But he is saying, if we come down... To verse 27 he says peace I leave with you and my peace I give you I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid now they're going tomorrow you're gonna to be killed they're gonna be after us and you're saying this Now, if we're looking on the outside as very dangerous place but Jesus says I'm gonna give you peace not as the world gives the world will say, peace is comfort, no stress, no worries. I can just enjoy life. That is peace. But Jesus is going, no, no, the peace I'm giving you is on the inside, a real relationship with God. And do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Because on the inside, we've got the right understanding of God and what he's like, a new perspective on life, a new perspective on God. And you can push into the world like that. If he was saying, life would be rosy, don't worry, I've fixed everything up, he wouldn't be saying this about Satan. So he gets down to verse 30 and he's going, you know what, Satan's still going to be in the world and he's still going to be challenging your faith. Verse 30, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming, talking about Satan. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. See, Satan's come, he's going, I'm going to weaken the hand of God. I'm going to take out Jesus. I'm going to nail him to a cross. I'm going to mock him and make him look stupid. But what Jesus says, I'm, I'm living in full obedience to the Father. I know I have to die for the sins of the world. So actually what Satan's doing, it has no power over me. I'm not afraid of the cross in that it's, it's Satan winning the battle. He says, no, no. It's proving to the world that I love the Father and obey the Father. And it's actually strengthening the hand of God by Jesus going to the cross. So Satan is active in the world. But Jesus, that's on the outside. That doesn't impact what's going on the inside. You know God is awesome. You know he's powerful. And you know he's trustworthy. How does that change us? Because we're going to have good days and bad days. And how we rely on God and our understanding of God will be challenged. This week, uh, a few of us went to uh, a half a day seminar thing from Open Doors. Open Doors is a group that people that work with persecuted churches around the world, uh, and it got me interested. Listen to some podcasts as well. I encourage them. Track them down. They're one of our ministry support partners. Uh, just to hear what's going on around the world. And one of them shared a story about how he prayed with a man in Pakistan and hearing terrible stories on the one hand about how Christians are being hunted down and persecuted and families split up. It's hard being a Christian in Pakistan. But on the flip side of that, the church is booming. People are coming to Christ left, right and centre. They see there's something different about this and they're finding life through Jesus in that environment. And after this meeting of both confronting but also encouraging uh, this Aussie bloke from Open Doors said <clears throat> uh, I'd love to pray for you what can I pray for you about and the Pakistani man said pray that the persecution continues because there's areas where persecution is stopping and what's happening is people are starting to lose focus or lose their dependence on God lose their walk with God and they're starting to think about now I'm worried about my safety now I'm worried about my comforts I need to get my crops growing. I need to get my house built. I need to get a better education for my kids. We get tempted about all these comforts in life. We don't want any worries, no stress, no anxiety. But in the process of pursuing that for ourselves, we, we lose our security in God himself. We're not, walking close. We're not challenged in our faith to walk with God and trust in God. Then the Pakistani man said, so what do you want me to pray for you? To the Aussie guy, who's living in comfort and no persecution here in Australia. It's like, wow, what should we be praying for? How do we walk closely with this God? Do we pursue, because I think this is Satan's tack now, pursue your comforts, pursue your wealth, pursue the no worries life, pursue the no stress, have it all laid out in front of you. Because in that environment, you don't need God. You don't need to know him in this way. We need to see how we can know this God to push away those other things that are distracting us from knowing Father, Son and Spirit to walk closely with him. That's what, to stop looking at the outside to know on the inside I can get through another day particularly because he doesn't leave me alone. God is with me, he's in me and guiding me. That's what we need to cling to. Let me encourage you in that journey in praying for you now. Please pray together. Dear Father God, we just thank you for this amazing picture of who you are. And Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry that it's on our behalf that we fail to really draw near to you and get to know you. We're sorry that we don't trust you. We're sorry that we often get angry and frustrated with you when you're not giving us the things that we want. And we think you don't love us. But Lord... We just pray that you'd help us to give this fresh vision of you and see what you're doing in our lives. That through the cross, everything's changed. That you've come into our world, into our lives. That we can have a genuine relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. Lord, when you speak to us through your Spirit, when you advise us your ways, help us not to ignore you, but draw near to you, to follow you, Lord, help us to know you intimately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.